0: Our scripture this morning is taken from John 20, verses 1 through 18, and can be found on page 1685 in your pew Bible. The Empty Tomb On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there because he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, "'Woman, why are you crying?' "'They have taken my Lord away,' she said, and I don't know where they have put him.' At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but still did not realize that it was Jesus. "'Woman,' he said, "'why are you crying?' Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the good news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her.
1: Thank you, Barb. As a reminder, there's an outline in your bulletin, if that's helpful for you to follow. And before we begin, let's quiet our hearts and minds in a silent prayer. Let's pray. Amen. Woman, why are you crying? Those are the first recorded words of Jesus Christ after his resurrection from the dead. He spoke them to a woman named Mary Magdalene, who, as we see in the story, is sobbing uncontrollably at the entrance of the tomb of Jesus. Now, Mary is a person who's Deeply devoted to Jesus. The Bible tells us Christ cast out seven demons from her, and her gratitude knows no boundaries. She follows him everywhere, she supports him financially. She was there at the crucifixion, and she watched as two men named Joseph and Nicodemus take Jesus' body from the cross. She follows them, and she sees where they lay it in a tomb. And on that Sunday morning, she is the first to visit the grave. And she is the one that discovers that it's empty. Actually, Mary is the first evangelist. She is the first one to proclaim the news of the resurrection. As she went to the other disciples. She informs Peter and John in particular. And they come and they check out the situation. They look it over and they go home. And they leave Mary there alone. Mary is not only devastated by the death of Jesus, but now she despairs at his missing body. The body that she wants to give one last act of love to by preparing it for a proper burial. She stands outside the grave, crying, overwhelmed with grief. And she decides in the midst of her tears to look into the tomb one more time. And she's startled by the presence of two men who ask her about her grief. And she complains, they've taken my Lord away, I don't know where they've put him. So she turns to leave and she bumps up against another person who she thinks is the cemetery caretaker. And she says of him, where is the body of Jesus? She does not recognize who it is she's speaking to. Either her unbelief or her tears prevent her from realizing this is Jesus. And, and then he in turn asks a question. Why are you crying? And so it is with us this morning. What are the things that we cry about? Are we like Mary Magdalene who weeps over the loss of someone that we love with all our heart and we weep for the troubles in our lives? We too weep from suffering and our vision becomes blurred by the midst of our tears. And Jesus asks us, as he does with Mary, why are you crying? Some people cry over their sin and their failures. And frankly, more of us should. Sin is one thing really worth crying about. When Simon Peter denies three times that he knows Jesus and then is confronted with this act of disloyalty, he runs out and weeps bitterly. Peter has something to weep about. We should all weep over our sin. But it's characteristic of us to think lightly of it, to even normalize our sin, things that have always been considered wrong. Friends, the greatest lies are the ones we tell ourselves. We have a way of denying and justifying, redefining what's wrong and what's right, and in some cases even celebrating what has always been considered wrong. We do it to make ourselves feel better. But the Bible says there's a day when we will be held accountable to the perfect standard of the holiness of God. All that we are and all that we have done will be seen in light of this truth. Jesus says in Luke 6, Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and grieve. As we continue, if we continue to make light of our sin, if we never honestly face it and confess it and repent of it, we will weep on the day when sin is revealed for what it is. Jesus said more than once, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But Jesus also said in Luke 6, blessed are you that weep now, for you will laugh. In other words, if we honestly confront and grieve our sin and brokenness now, we will find laughter and comfort with the assurance of forgiveness. As the psalmist writes, May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. So how do we come into this comfort, this laughter, this assurance of sins forgiven? the answer comes from the risen Jesus Christ. His resurrection proves that what happened on the cross is a ransom for all of us. Paul, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians 15, said, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And, he said, listen to this, you are still in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus validates the cross. It reveals that his death is a perfect substitute for every one of us who deserve justice for our guilt. The resurrection wipes away the tears of guilt and shame. That's good news. Easter assures us that our past sins and failures can be cleansed when we take hold of this Jesus by faith. The empty tomb assures us of salvation. The resurrection wipes away the tears of the past, but this is not all that it does. The risen Christ, when Jesus asks, why are you crying, also comes to us with our present troubles, with our current problems. Perhaps we weep over our temptations. As committed followers of Jesus, we desire to walk in the Spirit and fulfill His will, but we continually come up against that inner sinful nature. And and we're seduced by the glitter of our world. And the evil one pressures us. And we wonder, will I ever gain the victory over myself? and my sinful inclinations and habits. We weep over other troubles as well. Obviously, the losses, the losses in life break our hearts. The loss of someone we love, there's an empty place in our hearts. Since last Easter, we've had 10 funerals at First Reformed Church. And that's not counting all of those who experienced the loss of a parent or grandparent or another loved one. I still remember standing at my father's casket 12 years ago and hesitation was over, everybody was gone but our family and just being surprised at the, 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 the tears that welled up within me. And I still miss him. This is what Mary's feeling weeping at the tomb. Jesus is everything to her. Now he's gone out of her life. For some we shed tears over the loss of our health and energy or losing a job or a marriage or expectations we have that will never be realized. We pray as the psalmist, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. We can feel like Mary at the tomb, overwhelmed with grief. But again, just as Jesus comes for our past sins, the resurrected Christ comes to us in our present troubles. And He asks, why are you crying? He's not making fun of us, but He's asking, what what are the tears about? He comes to wipe them away. He comes to wipe them away because He is with us. We do not worship a dead Jesus this morning. We do not worship a Jesus who just inspires us with a good life and a sacrificial death. He is alive. He exists and he is with us. The last words Jesus speaks before he ascends into heaven are in Matthew twenty-eight twenty. He said, I will be with you always. In his farewell words in the Gospel of John to his friends, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. You know, Jesus is acquainted with our pain and suffering. He experienced it. And He shares it now with us as He abides with us. So not only does the resurrection assure us of His presence in our lives and trials, but the resurrection does the same thing to our sufferings as as the cross does for the sufferings of Jesus. The resurrection sanctifies our sufferings. It makes our suffering holy. It transforms them. Nothing is more absurd to Mary and the disciples than to see the man and their master, the man they believe was a promised Messiah for three years, be tried and hung up on a cross. The torture and execution of Jesus Christ, from their point of view, was despairing, it was senseless, it was tragic. And that's how we can feel when we suffer, when we struggle. In 1815, General Wellington of England commanded the armies that led to the victory over Napoleon at Waterloo. At that time, Waterloo was part of the Netherlands. Now it's part of Belgium. And that war ended the Napoleonic Wars in Europe. And after the battle, Remember, they don't have cell phones and TVs and radios. But news of the victory was sent to England by way of coded messages flashed by lights between the continent and England across the channel. But just as the message, Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, was being transmitted from the channel over the channel, a fog moved in. And it interrupted the message. And the people in England only saw the coded words, Wellington defeated. And they thought it was over. The apparent defeat. And, and they started to grieve. And, and they, at the prospect of more war and, and trouble. But later, when the fog cleared, the entire message was transmitted. Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. Can you imagine how the people felt in England? The joy, the relief. Friends, if we only look at what happens on Good Friday, if we only look at the death of Jesus, when we only focus on our own sufferings and our own woundedness, we will experience defeat and despair. But when the fog clears and we see the resurrection and the resurrected one, God's message is completed. And Jesus wipes away the tears that we shed. But there's still the future, the future that haunts many, if not all of us, the fear of our own death. We live in a death-denying culture. We remove death as far away from daily life as possible. We dress up the dead to look like they're sleeping. We avoid talking about the subject. There are those that talk of naturalizing death and others talk of death with dignity or that death is our friend. But when we honestly look at our own death and stare it in the face, there's anxiety. There's fear. And one concern we may all have about our death is that life is just going to continue on without us. The sun will shine and people will go on as usual. And so we ask the question, does my life count? Does it matter? we wonder what death will be like. Will it hurt? Will it be unpleasant? You know, it's the one event in life we ultimately do alone. No one can do it for us. And we fear that loneliness. Death means letting go of everything, everything in your life, relationships, your money, your possessions, your achievements, everything. And our self-worth is threatened as we Contemplate the corruption of the body back to dust. And then what lies beyond the grave? Is there an afterlife? And what will it be like? Is there going to be a frightening meeting of, with our Creator? Will there be a judgment, accountability? It's natural to weep and cry in the face of death and dying. It's a grim reality. And friends, make no doubt about it, the Bible calls death an enemy. The book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Death is a time to weep. Jesus himself wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. But one time the famous evangelist D. L. Moody was asked to do a funeral. And he had never done one before. He's an evangelist, after all, and he didn't do that, but he said, I'll do it. And and he decided to study the New Testament and find out what did Jesus say at funerals. What, what were Jesus' uh, funeral sermons like? He couldn't find any. He couldn't find any. Every funeral that Jesus attends, he breaks it up. He comes to the house of Jairus, whose daughter lay dead in her bedroom, and Jesus rebukes the friends and the mourners who are crying there. He says, be quiet. Stop weeping. And they laugh at him. To the widow of Nain, whose son has died, Jesus said, do not weep. And then he touches the bodies of the girl and the boy and he brings them back to life. It's only the resurrected Jesus who can deliver us from the fear of death. No one else can because he's the only one who's entered into death's domain And emerge from it. He conquers death, and he offers that victory to all who will put their trust in him. The resurrection wipes away the tears of our fears and grief. As Paul wrote, he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, friends, we do not need to be ashamed of crying and shedding tears. There is a time to weep. And tears are a gift from God. In the Psalms it says He collects our tears and he, he keeps the memory of them in a bottle. We see Jesus weep over a grave and over a sinful world and He weeps in the garden of Gethsemane at the prospect of His own suffering. And yet, the risen Christ asks us, Why are you crying? This Easter Sunday reminds us we do not need to shed unnecessary tears. Let's be sure that we cry about the right things. We don't need to cry over regret from the past that have been confessed and forgiven, nor our present troubles when the risen Christ sustains us and keeps us with His presence or over our future death when the risen Christ assures us of eternal life. The resurrection wipes away tears now and secures a day when every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. So as we conclude this morning, let's go back to the tomb and Mary and Jesus. And there we see Jesus ask a second question of Mary. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Mary does not recognize Jesus because she's looking for a dead Jesus. The question is also asked of us. Who are you looking for? Are you here looking for a dead Jesus this morning? Are you living your life as if Jesus is dead? Do you react to your sin and suffering and death like a practical atheist, as if Jesus is still in the tomb? Or do our tears blind us to the resurrected one? Notice carefully how Mary comes to recognize Jesus. He speaks her name. He addresses her personally. Mary. Mary. And He comes to her. He finds her. Mary doesn't find Jesus. He comes to her and He calls her by name. And Jesus does the same for us. He comes to you and He comes to me and He personally calls us by our name. And he asks the question, Why are you crying? And who are you looking for? How will we respond? Mary turns to him and calls out, Rabboni, teacher, master. Will you turn to him this morning? Turning from sin and a rebellious heart Will you turn to him with your sorrows and your fears and to turn to him with faith and trust and letting him be to you what he is to Mary, a savior, a teacher, a leader, and a friend. Would you pray with me? Father, each of us brings here today a past, in the present and the future. And we thank and praise you that what we celebrate today in this Resurrection Sunday addresses all of those seasons of our life. We thank you that we can find forgiveness for our mistakes and our regrets, for the sins that we have committed Things that we should have done that we didn't do, and things we did that we know we shouldn't have, for any pain that we've caused in life. We thank you that the cross is validated, and we thank you that Jesus, you are here with us now as you promised, and that we, in in abiding with you, find hope in our troubles, whether they be infirmities, whether they be losses whether they be temptations, weaknesses. Lord, thank you and we pray that you will give us a resurrected life. Not just when we die, but now in this one. And Lord, we pray about the future. All of us have some level of angst about death. And we thank you that you defeated it. And we hold fast to you as we transfer Uh, For through that process when the day comes that you will bring us home to a place that you have prepared for us. So receive our thanks and our praise in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well we are going to conclude with uh, taking our morning offering and being led by the praise team in the song Hallelujah. He is coming.